Good morning, everybody. Good to see you, and those of you watching online, we appreciate you checking in with us, and you should have received your outline as you came in, and if you're looking for it online, you can pull it up on the church webpage or on the Facebook page and track with us as we walk through the Bible verses for the morning. Last Sunday night, we had Awaken. You heard we sang a song last Sunday, sang it this morning. Before it started, I was up kind of in the corner here with another dude and, and uh, just kind of standing back and uh, listening to what was going on in the auditorium. And what it was was people coming in, talking, laughing, enjoying each other's company. And I said to the dude, I enjoy watching this happen because to me it gives me a taste of what heaven's going to be like, you know? Just followers of Jesus, man, when we get to heaven, think about it. How cool is that going to be? And we get a taste of that right here on planet Earth. And uh, we celebrate that. So you've got, your, um, you've got your outline. And we have been, been endeavoring to uh, walk through the story about Bartimaeus. <laughs> and we're still there. And uh, Bartimaeus is still alive, and that's good to know. So um, we've been talking about the importance of having hope for today and a hope for the future. Why? Because we are really experiencing a lot of hopeless situations in our world today. And uh, the cool thing is, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not hopeless. God has given you a message of hope to give to other people. That's why you're here to make a difference in their lives. And that's true. It goes back into the, um, the early 70s. Chuck Colson, some of you may have known him from founding Prison Fellowship. Uh, he also founded Breakpoint. It was a, a radio program. But uh, before Chuck started these different ministries, the dude was in bad shape. He was an angry man. He, uh, he took it out on the people around him. He got into the political realm, the arena, and uh, he got a reputation for being the meanest dude on the block, really. And um, on August 12, 1973, Chuck was really having a meltdown in his life. And all he knew was he, he had a friend named Tom Phillips, who was a president of a company outside of Boston, And he felt, man, I need to go talk to Tom because I heard that Tom has placed his faith in Christ and I've seen such a change in him. Man, he's a different man. Something's happened in him. And so uh, Chuck went out to Boston, uh, went to Tom's home, and as they're having their conversation, uh, Tom starts talking about Jesus And he knows that Chuck Colson is a very proud man. And so he pulls out C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, and the chapter about pride, and starts walking through the chapter to try and get Chuck's attention. And so um, as they're going through it, uh, Tom just continued talking about, man, what Jesus had done in his life. And Chuck says, you know what? I, I didn't let on but I was listening very closely to Tom's story. 
But I didn't want to let them know that my life was, I was in utter despair. I was, I was living a hopeless life, man. I didn't know what to do next. And so um, Chuck says, you know, in short, my, my world was collapsing right in front of me, but I didn't want to let Tom know about it. And so Tom continued telling Chuck about Jesus. And at the end of the night, he said, what do you think, Chuck? What do you think about Jesus? Do you want to put your faith in him? And Chuck kind of poo-pooed. He said, no, I'm going to read C.S. Lewis' book. You know, I'll, I'll go through that. And at the end of it, we'll come back and we can talk. So Chuck says, I got into my car in the driveway. He said, I couldn't move. Suddenly, he said, God's presence just overwhelmed me inside that car. He said, here I am, an ex-Marine captain, Mr. Tough Guy. I'm a political brute in Washington, D.C., and here I am sitting in my car in a driveway crying out to God. I can't do anything else, man. I just know, God, I need you. My life is a mess. And so he said, uh, I, didn't, I just didn't know what to do, and here I am in the car repeating this word, Jesus, take me, take me. And this is what Chuck writes down. That night, when I sat alone in my car, my own sin, not just dirty politics, but the hatred and evil so deep within me was thrust before my eyes, forcefully and painfully. And for the first time in my life, I felt unclean. And worst of all, I could not escape. In those moments of clarity, I found myself driven irresistibly into the arms of the living God and loving God. Isn't that cool? I like the way Chuck put that. Irresistibly into the arms of the living God and loving God. He said, God touched me in Tom Phillips' driveway. You think of all the places in the world, man. Here he, God goes after Chuck Colson in Tom's driveway. And years later, Chuck says, man, God's love and his kindness still astound me. And for those of you that have not heard Chuck's story, you can pick up his book, Born Again, and he tells his story about how he found Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. You talk about hope, man. In a hopeless world, Chuck Colson, once he put his faith in Christ, he pulled the trigger on getting involved in the kingdom building. He didn't say this world is messed up. He got involved in prison fellowship, going into prisons, starting that proactive ministry, breakpoint hitting current events that you and I go through every single day and how Jesus Christ can make a difference. And so we celebrate a God of hope that he wants to work in and through you, just like he worked in Tom Phillips' life, man. Tom could not contain that good message of hope inside him. And he shared it with Chuck Colson and look what it did in Chuck's life. Yeah. So we're going to go to the book of Mark once again, chapter 10, starting in verse 46. And you can uh, look it up on the screen or you've got it in your outline. Either way, that works. Then they, and that's Jesus and his disciples, uh, reached Jericho, and as they left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road, 
And when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What did the crowd do? Did they applaud that? Did they get all fired up? Here's some dude on the side of the road that wants to get to where Jesus is. And you think they would lean over and help get him to where Jesus, no, 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 no. They, they said, they yelled at him, be quiet. Many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. And so they called the blind man, cheer up. They said, come on, he's calling you. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the privilege we have to read it, listen to it, obey it. Lord, we don't want to disconnect this morning where we just listen to it. We want to obey it. We want to apply it to our lives. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit to be active in each one of our lives. And you know, Lord, each one of us, as you knew Chuck Colson, on how hopeless his life was and how he was searching for an answer and how Tom Phillips willingly shared Jesus with Chuck. Lord, this morning we also present that same message of hope that Jesus Christ loves each one of us. Our lives are not a mistake. We haven't messed up too bad that he doesn't love us. We thank you for your great pursuit. Lord, we are so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. No need to talk about we're living in a challenging day, in a challenging world. I think we all know that. We won't even have to vote about it because uh, we carry that with us every single day. But the cool thing is that we have God's word and God's word has been a gift to you and to me to give us that hope to live one day at a time in a proactive way in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And in 1 Peter 1.3, we have another message of hope there where it says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Into a living hope. It's living, it's not dead, it's not dormant through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we know that Satan, the religious community wanted to put Jesus in the grave and forget about him, but guess what? Three days later, he comes walking out. This verse recognized that, that you and I have been, we had new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ lives, we too shall live and we'll be with him. So we're grateful for his word. And this morning, as we look at Bartimaeus in this town of Jericho, Jericho was a very wealthy town. And beggars would come from all around because they looked at it as an opportunity getting outside the city gates as people were living that they would have pity on those who were lame, blind, whatever the case may be. And so they kind of lined up outside the city gates on, on the side of the road, crying out, alms for the poor. That's what they were looking for. We can't survive. There was no, no government program. There wasn't social security. There wasn't anything that these people could rely on from the government. And so they were beggars. And they relied on people feeling sorry for them. And that's how they survived. And we see that Jesus 
Number one, he's on the move. He's on the move. He reached Jericho. And you know what I think is so cool? That Jesus is still on the move. It's not like, hey, I was on the move in the New Testament. That was good enough, you know? I did my duty. I'm just going to chill out in heaven, you know? I'll let my people suffer down on planet Earth. I hope they make it. No, 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 no. Jesus is alive and he's moving today. He's moving in your life and my life. That gets me fired up. He's moving. He's changing me. He's transforming me into the very image of his son. And here's the, here's the crazy thing, I think, that because Jesus created you in his image, he gives you the freedom to say, I don't want any more. I don't want to grow anymore. And here's a problem with a lot of denominations in our, in our world today. People think they go through this class and you're good, man. You're good. You're going to go to heaven. And so they just kind of put it on cruise control and think, you know what? There's that false sense of security because I did this, went through this class, got this little piece of paper I can hang on my wall, you know, that I'm good. I'm spiritually good. You want to know something? They are cheating themselves and they're robbing themselves of experiencing the, live, the living God working in their lives. They turn God into a statue. And how boring is that? Right? It's pretty boring. I am so grateful that Jesus is on the move and he's working in our life today. Wycliffe Bible translator said, all around the world, people are encountering Jesus as they receive scripture in a language and format they clearly understand. Across Asia and the Pacific, there are many communities still waiting to receive scripture. But God is on the move, and his spirit is being poured out in ways that we've never experienced before. Join us in celebrating what he is doing, everything from first encounters with Jesus to people receiving the full Bible. What's Wycliffe Bible Translator saying? It's time to get fired up, man. God is on the move. Woo! He's on the move. And the question is, is he on the move in your life? Yeah. That's something to pause and, hey, am I allowing God to work in my life? Am I allowing him every area? And we know today... Later on today, there's a big football game. <laughs> Super Bowl. I don't know what team you're rooting for, but I'm leaning towards Brock Purdy. That's San Fran, by the way. And there's a reason, because the dude, God is moving in his life. We had a speaker last uh, Saturday at No Regrets uh, out of LA area, and he, he was all fired up during his talk about how, how Brock is so vocal about his faith that he doesn't hide it. Let's check it out on the screen for ourselves. Party, everybody. Brock, come on in here, man. Congratulations, young man. You just led one of the biggest comebacks in NFC Championship game history. What was the key to the amazing comeback? Man, first of all, glory to God. 
Um, he, he's given us this opportunity, man. And I mean, you seemed completely level-headed the entire time. I know there were ups and downs, but what kept you grounded? I mean, I have to say my faith. You know, everything that I do in life is for God. So, you know, I don't try to get wrapped up in, man, I'm playing in the NFL, I'm a cornerback. I have to, you know, hold on to this thing that I do for a job. You know, I just sort of let that go to God and, and I just went out, did my studying, did my preparation and everything sort of fell into place. The night before games, we always call, we, we pray together. And, you know, and for me, it's my faith in God and, and that's it. You know, I, I am who he calls me to be. And they try to come to as many home games as possible. But yeah, on Sundays for them, it's, you know, they close up shop and, uh, you know, walk, go to church and then watch the game. Man, am I blessed to have them. And, you know, everything that I do is for God and, you know, for my family. So love them so much just how faithful God is just by nature of who he is. One of the things that you know I had been reading throughout the season was uh, Mark 8:34 talks about Jesus is telling his disciples, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hold on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll save it. With myself and like my mindset with it was exactly that, that verse that Jesus had told his disciples thousands of years ago. Don't try to hold on to your life. You're going to lose it, you know, and the world wants you to go this way or that way. And uh, the, the minute you have fame and if you're trying to chase status and money and all this kind of stuff, you'll lose your life rather than, you know, denying yourself, picking up your cross, keeping my eyes on Jesus and his promises. And like, honestly, I think this is a testament to God and where he's taking me in life. Um, I've never been the biggest, the fastest, the strongest or any of that. But God's always given me an opportunity, whether that was in high school, college. And then obviously in the NFL, all you need is an opportunity and when watch and see what he does. You know, I put my faith and trust in him and win or lose, I'm going to glorify you. And, and uh, that's my peace. That's the joy. That's the, the steadfastness. That's where I get it from. And that's the honest truth. I know who I am. All right, here's a question. Here, here's a question. Is God moving today? Yes. He is. He is. That's just one example. We could, we could just fill up the rest of the day, man, talking with different people on how God is moving in their lives. He was moving in Chuck Colson's life. He's moving in my life. He's moving in your life. And what a privilege and what a gift that is. So we celebrate that Jesus is on the move. Number two, a desperate man. Verse 46, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road, and when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He was desperate. He was blind. We don't know how many years Bartimaeus had been camping out on the side of the road, but evidently, during the comings and goings, he had heard about Jesus from people around him, from the talk on the street. Even though he couldn't see, he could hear. And his life was hopeless. And when somebody talked about Jesus, they talked about hope. Jesus gives hope. Jesus can change your life. And something resonated inside of Bartimaeus that, man, if Jesus ever comes through Jericho, I'm going to be ready for him because I'm a desperate man. Chuck Colson was a desperate man, and God found him. God pursued him. Bartimaeus was a desperate man, and Jesus 
went after him. And so when he heard, Barnabas heard that Jesus was coming by, what does he do? He shouts. Why does he shout? Because he can't see him. He just knows he's there trying to get his attention. And we see the people around him, man. They're telling him to be quiet. And I think Barnabas probably had that little black voice, the little black box in the back of his head with the voice that said, you know what? You're not good enough for Jesus to come by you. You've messed up so many times in your life. Jesus doesn't have time for you. Don't you know that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die, to be crucified? And Barnabas could have talked himself out of it, man. I'm just a beggar. I'm a nobody. Why would Jesus stop and help me today? But instead, he was desperate, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter what his past was. All he knew was Jesus was walking by. And he, get, he had to get Jesus' attention. And so in 40, verse 47, Jesus, have mercy on me. And there is this sense of urgency in the voice of Bartimaeus. Because what if Jesus doesn't stop? My life is hopeless. Well, guess what? Jesus heard. He heard Bartimaeus cry. I read this the other day, man, and I, I, I just kind of hit the pause button and said, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 4. David writing, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me. What's it say? And he heard my cry. You guys are breathing, right? All right, let's, let's read that. You ready? Verse one, let's read it together. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. You can put a little emotion in that too, by the way. It's all right. It's okay. I'm sure David did. You heard my cry, Lord. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock, gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth. A hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. You're blessed, man, when you put your trust in God. You're blessed. I am so grateful for the Bible. Because, man, he, I waited for the Lord, and he heard my cry. Maybe you've been crying out. Who's going to hear me? Who cares about me? My life is going nowhere. Man, you can cry out to the Lord, and he'll hear you. He'll hear you. Number three, Jesus stops to call. Verse 49, when Jesus heard and stopped, tell him to come here. They called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. He stopped. You know what's cool about this is that Bill kind of mentioned this earlier, the Good Samaritan. And the religious community walked by this dude on the side of the road that had been beat up. And it was a Samaritan that that stopped and helped. And here you have the Son of God the savior of the world. He's on a mission, his life mission on the way to Jerusalem, and yet he stops for one man. And you see the character of God in Jesus. You want to find out what God's all about? Read the Bible. 
Jesus walking through the pages there, you see that is a mirror of who God is. How much, God, how much love God has for you. And God hears your voice and your call. Man, I tell you, I, last week we, we talked about Francis Thompson and writing the poem, The Hound of Heaven. And Francis Thompson, man, he had problems, health issues and financial problems and an addiction to opium. And the way he was raised, he figured, man, God would turn his head away from him because he had messed his life up so bad. He figured he had got all figured out. But here's the deal. Thompson, in this poem, describes a relentless pursuit of the hound of heaven. The relentless pursuit of the hound of heaven. That's who Jesus is, man. He comes after you. He's not going to relent. Thompson goes on to say, the sound of divine footsteps behind me. The sound of divine footsteps behind me. How many of you have experienced that in your life? Man, I have. I ran from God. I pushed God away. But the sound of those divine footsteps, I couldn't get away from. I'm so grateful for him. He didn't give up on me. He pursued me. He pursued you. And nowhere else in other world religions can we find a God in hot pursuit for his people. That's love. That's love. Number four, come as you are. Verse 50, Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up and came to Jesus. And um, come to Jesus. Come as you are. Why didn't Jesus go to where Bartimaeus was? It's a quiz. It's a quiz. It's not a yes or no. So why? Why did, why did Jesus not walk to where Bartimaeus was? Because beggars had heavy coats that when they sat on the side of the road, they would, they would, they would be sitting and they would put the coat over their lower extremities. So when people would walk by, they would throw the coins into that heavy blanket. That's where they collected their, their money to live on. That same blanket or coat, they would use as a sleeping bag at night to keep them warm. So there were multiple reasons why this, this coat was so important and valuable to Bartimaeus. Jesus knew that there was a barrier between he and Bartimaeus, and it was that coat. Because if Bartimaeus chose to stay where he was, Jesus would have kept walking because Bartimaeus, that was a decision, that was a choice. What am I going to do? What am I going to choose? Am I going to hang on to my security blanket or am I going to let it go and go to where Jesus is? He's calling me. And each one of us this morning have had barriers between our relationship with Jesus Christ. It could be a life-controlling habit. It could be uh, a broken relationship. It can go on and on. Whatever the case may be, it's a barrier that prevents you from moving on in that relationship with Christ. And so Jesus is giving Bartimaeus a choice. He's giving him a decision. Do you want to stay where you're at, Bartimaeus? But if you're coming after me, you've got to throw your security blanket, that barrier to the side. You've got to let it all go. 
You've got to surrender it all to me. And then I, my life, I can give you new hope, that hope that you're looking for. And so Barnabas came as he was, and he's saying, there's nothing going to hold me back. I'm selling out. I'm selling out, man. I'm surrendering my whole life to Jesus. And so we see in verse 50, he threw aside his coat, jumped up, and he came to Jesus. That's good. That's good, man. Number five, know your need. Verse 51, do you know what do you what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. And so Jesus is giving Bartimaeus, now that he's standing in front of Jesus, the opportunity to say exactly what he wants. He had been crying out, Jesus, have mercy. Have mercy on me. Because he recognized there was a spiritual need first and foremost. So we see that my rabbi, the blind man, said, I want to see. Bartimaeus knew he was blind. He knew he was blind. And so many today, people are in spiritual blindness, but they don't even recognize their need for a savior. Muhammad Ali was in his heyday during his reign as the heavyweight champion of the world. That was in 1964 through 1970. He was flying, so he got in his seat, and uh, before the plane started taxiing, the flight attendant was walking down the aisles, and she noticed that Ali didn't have his seatbelt on. And so she requested to him, please fasten your seatbelt, sir. And he looked proudly back at her and snapped, Superman don't need no seatbelt, lady. But it didn't take her breath away. She fired right back and she said, Superman don't need no plane, so buckle up. What's that about? It's about the fact that sometimes pride gets in our way. We don't see our need for a savior, right? We don't see our need for a seatbelt. And Jesus Christ came and he, as Chuck Colson, a very proud man, he had to humble himself before God. He had to see his need for a savior. And so we can't be fooled by our own pride that will talk us out of surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ. And we see in verse 51b, my rabbi, it means my dear master, my Lord and master. Bartimaeus already is honoring Jesus, recognizing who he is. He knows who he is. He's the savior of the world. And so we see that as Bartimaeus had earlier said, have mercy on me. Now he's saying, I want to see. I want to see. Number six, follow Jesus for life. Verse 52, and Jesus said to him, go for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus down the road. You can imagine how it was for Barnabas, man, being blind. He was blind on the front end of that, telling Jesus, I want to see. And then he was seeing at the end of the statement. And you can see the, uh, the process there, no surgery, no bandages, no adjustment, just boom, he's able to see. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. That's the power of Jesus Christ. 
He saw Jesus Christ first after being blind, just like you and I are going to see Jesus first when we get to heaven. Man, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, when I look upon his face. See the one who saved me by his grace. What, what a day that's going to be. What a day. Verse 52, what does Jesus say? Dude, you need to go through some rehab. You know, you've got some anger issues, man. You, 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 those people didn't treat you right when you were growing up, man. You want to get back at them. I know your heart. No, that's not what Jesus said. We come as we are. We come as we are. Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. Let's circle that word healed. What does that mean? That means saved, rescued. In other words, Barnabas placed his faith in Jesus Christ first and foremost. Jesus is saying, your faith has not only healed your soul, but your faith has healed your eyesight. There was, a phys- there was a spiritual healing first, and then there was a physical healing. Man healed. He was saved. He was rescued spiritually. And then we think about this. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. He followed Jesus down the road. What does that word follow mean? You want to circle that word because it's, it's pretty cool. To follow as a disciple, to imitate it's a process of imitation to be like Jesus. Follow. So, you know, we tend to dilute that word. You know, we put our faith in Christ and we're going to follow Jesus. And we just kind of, yeah, we're going to follow Jesus. We're, that's cool. That's cool. But that word followed has some deeper implications here. It's a disciple. It's imitation. In other words, when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, that's justification. That's just as if I never sinned because I ask Jesus to forgive me. He washes my sin away. So when the father looks at me, he sees me as righteous. The righteousness of Jesus has been poured into me. Jesus took my sin. He poured his righteousness in. That's justification. That's not the end. Because as long as I'm breathing, the process of sanctification kicks in. You know? And that's allowing... Jesus to keep moving in your life, to challenging you and encouraging you. By when you read his word, you want to be more like Jesus, right? So that's what's going on. And I, you know what? I was thinking about this. Bartimaeus, he had his hymn book in his backpack. He went back for it and started singing the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. You don't believe me, do you? Use your imagination. Come on now. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Let's imagine you're going into a coffee shop and Jesus has texted you and he says, hey, I want to get together for a cup of coffee. And you go into that coffee shop and he sits down next to you and he looks you in the eye and he says, it's time that we define this relationship. What would you say to him? 
Is your relationship with Jesus exclusive or is he just part-time? You pick him up on the weekends, on the way to church, and you put him back on the shelf after church on Sundays. What would you tell him? Jesus wants to know. What are you going to do? What's the deal? And we know that in our culture today, it's so easy to become an, you admire Jesus, but you really don't know him. You know, yeah, I know Jesus is, he's, he's awesome, but you don't know him. You know, you come and go in this relationship and it's kind of like the dude at a football game. You know, he's up in the stands and he's not on the field, but he's cheering for the team. There he is. He's not playing. There's no, there's no sweat off his back. And as soon as the team starts falling apart, guess what? He stops cheering. That's kind of how it is in life. That's how it is with a lot of people spiritually. If Jesus doesn't do what they want to do and, and their timetable, man, they just check out spiritually. That's kind of how I am with the Wisconsin Badger basketball team right now. <laughs> Saying, come on, losing to Rutgers, man, four, what's some, I've checked out, man, you know? I thought, but that's how it is with a lot of people spiritually, you know? Jesus doesn't do what they want him to do, and they check out. Matthew 15, 8, Jesus was talking to the religious community, and he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their hearts are far from me. How's your heart? Where is it in that relationship with Christ? And so... What jumps out to me in this text, in verse 52, man, instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus down the road. What does that word follow mean? Well, in Matthew 16, 24, 25, Jesus puts a little meat on that. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. I like the way Jesus starts this verse. There's four words that jump out at you. It says, if any of you. What does if any of you mean? Does it mean that you have to be part of an exclusive club? No. Does that mean you have to pay your dues? No. If any of you, in the Greek that means if any of you. It means everyone. Everyone, anybody, everybody. You don't have to be part of this, you know, I've got to do this, this, and this to get, no, 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 no. Jesus said, if any of you. It's not after you've done this certain stuff. No, no, no. Jesus is challenging every single one of us. When we put our belief in Jesus, we need to follow after him. Bartimaeus modeled that so well. I'm telling you, man, he followed Jesus down the road for three months. No, no. We'll get more into that in a moment. But any of you, man, it doesn't, whatever your past is, it's any of you to follow after Christ. That's an invitation. Who wants to be my follower, you know? Jesus is describing this, wants to be my follower. It's a very um, 
romantic term that he's using here, one of intimacy. If anyone wants to be my follower, it's, uh, he's comparing it to uh, where you would have a relationship, a romantic relationship with someone. And, um, and I have to tell you, when I was pursuing Debbie, man, she consumed my thoughts, resources, and energy. And you might ask, well, what about now? <laughs> She's still doing it. Still doing it. When Debbie and I got married, what did I do? I, I made, because I wanted to be her husband, I said to no, I said no to every other woman on the planet. Exclusively. She's my wife. She's my bride. I'm choosing that. And she did likewise. She X'd out every other dude on the planet and said, my relationship is with Bob Lee exclusively. That is the picture that Jesus is using here in this text. If any of you wants to be my follower, he's wanting intimacy with us. He wants us to give up anything that will prevent us to become all that he wants us to be. Barnabas threw his coat off to the side. That, was, that could have held him back. That could have been a lifelong barrier. But he said, no, I'm going after Christ. That's what Jesus is talking about. And he talks about, you must give up your own way. How many of you want to give up your own way? Not in America, man. I'm an American and I have my rights. No, you don't. Not when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus says you must give up your own way. How many of you signed up for that? That means everything you have, your car, your house, your bank account, your refrigerator, it's all God's. It's all God's. And, and, and the interesting thing is, man, our culture's saying what? It's all about you. You see the pushback there? It's all about you, your feelings. Oh, my feelings. Come on. How do you respond to that when culture says it's all about you and Jesus says you have to give up your own way? Yes, we die to that. We die to that. And then Jesus says, take up your own cross. Take up your cross, not somebody else's cross. Every single one of us, when we put our faith in Christ, we have our own cross to follow Jesus with. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Come and die. Die to our ambitions, my wants, my rights, right? Take up your cross, take up your cross. And Jesus, you know, he could have used a dove or a shepherd's staff as a symbol of Christianity, but he chose a cross, man. It's a picture of torture, suffering, That's what Jesus uses to promote his kingdom. The cross, we die to self. Jesus died for us. Humiliated, mocked, tortured. Paul says in Philippians 2 that we should follow his example. The same attitude Jesus had, we should have that same attitude. We lay down our rights for the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, 
But those who are being saved know it is the very power of God. Aren't you thankful for the cross? The cross, Jesus was willing to go. And finally, the tail end of verse 24, and follow me. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. Do you know what that word follow means in Matthew 16? It means the same thing that Jesus talked about in Mark 10, 52. It's the same word follow. To follow, follow as a disciple, to imitate. Isn't it incredible? When Jesus talks about following after him, Bartimaeus modeled that ahead of time for us. It says he followed him down the road. And when you think about that, why was Bartimaeus' name given and preserved in the book of Mark? Well, Bible scholars tell us that his name was preserved because Bartimaeus was a stalwart in the Jerusalem church. Who was the pastor in Jerusalem? James, the half-brother to Jesus. Bartimaeus was a leader in the church in Jerusalem. He followed Jesus down the road, and he didn't quit. He didn't give up, but he finished strong. And friends, follow Jesus for life. For life. The beginning to the end, man, I'm going to finish strong because Jesus is living inside of me. He's giving me the power and the desire to do what pleases the Lord. Isn't it great news? That's great news. And so, this morning, friend, here we are. It's decision time. Barnabas had a decision. Will he stay camped out on the side of the road with his blanket? Or will he throw it to the side and go after Jesus? It's possible that life has beat you up and you've been on the sidelines of life. Yeah. You thought, yeah, this relationship with Jesus would go somewhere and, man, you've got discouraged, you've been, whatever the case may be, you're stuck on the side of the road. Today is a great day to say yes to Jesus, like Chuck Colson did in the driveway outside of Boston. Because here we are. Jesus, I put my trust in you. You went to the cross. You shed your blood. You came out of that grave three days later. Jesus, you took my payment to the cross. You paid my sin debt in full, and today I'm putting all my trust in you. So thank you for forgiving my sin. Thank you for living inside of me. And Lord, I will follow you all of my life through the power of your spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We follow you, Lord Jesus. We don't, uh, we don't leave you here at church on Sundays and come back and meet you the following Sunday. Lord, we allow you to live through us seven days a week. Wherever we go, whatever we do, we want to honor you. And so we thank you for this example of Bartimaeus. And we thank you, Lord, for the great example of Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, stopping for one man who's calling out. Lord, 
There may be one person online this morning, one person in this auditorium that's crying out to you for help. And you promise, Lord, to hear their voice. Some that have put their trust in you this morning and there's some here today that have allowed that relationship to drift. They're not following anymore. They're just cruising. They're coasting. They're wandering. Lord, forgive us if we allowed that to happen. We thank you for the opportunity that each one of us has to follow you all the days of our lives. And so, Lord, we say yes to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.